And welcome, friends, to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you today. And uh, we have a passion on this program to see the strengthening of the family, the biblical family, strengthening of fatherhood, strengthening of the church. Are, are we here to see the reforming of the family or the reforming of the church? And the answer is, of course, yes. Uh, the one depends on the other, and we certainly would love to see a, a strengthening of faith within the biblical family, a strengthening of faith within the biblical church, it's all essential. That's all part of the reforming agenda, the renewing of the mind and the strengthening of the church. This is not a a time for weak faith or weak spiritual leadership in our families and churches. God calls us to strength, to be strong, be strong in the Lord. Uh, Quit ye like men, be strong. It's, 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 It's nothing commendable, nothing commendable to be to be weak, but to be strong in faith, to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That, that's that's the, the will of God for, for the church. And that's why the Shepherds Conference in October, where we've held it in our home, in our local church, uh, every year for 13 years, for 13 years out here in the eastern plains of Colorado. And my, my goal is to do two Shepherds Conferences next year, if possible, God willing, to better equip our fathers, elders, pastors for spiritual leadership in the church. What we, what we need, I feel, is not so much the professional counselors or psychological self-help gurus or, or even the authors. What, what, what we want to focus on is pastoral counsel to better equip the church, the family, whether it be fathers, elders, pastors in the trenches. And what we need are pastors in the trenches. What I like about the pastors in the trenches equipping the saints is that they're not in the lecture rooms. They're up to their elbows in alligators. They're, they're bloodied. They're, they're in it for the long haul. There's nothing hypothetical about pastoring. It's the real deal. Trust me, I've been in the business or the ministry for some 30 years. But there's nothing hypothetical about this. Souls are at risk. Eternity is in the balance. And somehow, eventually, wisdom comes about through the years of working in the trenches. And that's why we want to come back to the pastors in the trenches. And I guess I want to call this series the Pastors in the Trenches series. Just came up with that. But today we are joined by Pastor Josh Bice uh, from Praise Mills Baptist Church. Uh, He's gotten behind the G3 conference uh, that's been going on since 2013. And, And we want to talk about G3 as well. But the purpose of G3 is to educate, encourage, equip Local churches with sound biblical theology for the glory of God. There's a lot of good stuff that G3 blog, folks. G3men.org is the website, G3men.org. And Pastor Josh Bice now joins me on Generations. Welcome, 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 my brother. It's good to have you with us. Good to be with you, Kevin. Let's talk a little bit about, well, let's, let's talk about the G3 ministry, just briefly. I mean, you, you, you have an interest in the strengthening of the body of Christ. Of the, you know, we're not necessarily living in the most uh, outstanding period of Reformation in the history of the Christian Church in the West. I, if, you know, to put it mildly, I guess you could say. But uh, what what is your interest in the G three uh, ministry? What what was what was the vision behind that, Josh? Yeah, that's a great question, Kevin. So G three ministries exists for the purpose of strengthening local churches. It started as a conference in 2013 on our local church campus. And the goal was to encourage 
fellow pastors and other fellow believers in the metropolitan Atlanta area. And we really had no idea what would eventually happen as God blessed this conference. What we saw that first year was just unbelievable. People were swarming to a conference, starving theologically in desperate need of spiritual nourishment. And as time would pass, the the pattern of the conference was that it would sell out a month before the conference or more. And so for the first four years, that's how we would operate. And so eventually in 2017, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, we moved to a convention center to have more room. And so we would eventually uh, grow astronomically from that point. But the idea as things have have shifted with G3 Conference to now G3 Ministries, the the overall goal has not shifted. Uh, It was the goal from the very beginning to strengthen local churches. That remains the very central goal of G3 Ministries to this very day. So whether it was Mm -hmm. 750 people at a local church campus or 6,500 at a convention center, as we currently have presently, the goal is, is, is still to strengthen local churches, to encourage pastors. Let's face it, you know, events and conferences are wonderful and they can be a great benefit to us individually and to families, but it's the local church. That's where we are to plant our mm. lives, to live life together. And so, so that's the heartbeat of G3 Ministries is to be right. about helping local churches for the glory of God. Right. Well, before we get into what I really want to get to, uh, let's let's go after this idea of you know, strengthening theology. There, there's a sense in which our theology can be very weak in American churches. Well, can, can you boil that down? What what do you? I mean, I guess I would say it'd be a man-centered versus God-centered. That might be one of the most fundamental ways to put it. How, how do you put it? Yeah, I think that's accurate. I mean, it's it's very much man-centered, but I think what's driving that is pragmatism. Okay. You know, uh, I I think a lot of evangelical churches are, you know, drunk on success. They want to try to be as successful as the next church down the road, and so they're willing to employ whatever tactics or gimmicks or programs that are necessary to get people in the front door of their church building. Unfortunately, when you ask the culture what the culture wants, and then you play that game, it's going to affect how you worship God. It's going to affect how you serve God, and that's going to be massively uh, discouraging, and it's going to be a downgrade for the local church in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so you're right. It affects the the way in which we we operate, and what you would say is, let's get back to God's design. For the church, God's design for the preaching of the Word of God as 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 more central, would you say, than the music the music program? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the holistic, you know, life of the church matters. So, preaching matters, but the the holistic view of worship matters as well. And so, when we when we see T-shirts or bumper stickers, or we look at social media and we see the the Latin slogan, you know, "Semper Reformanda." This is not the idea of being reformed according to John Calvin or being reformed according to the five solas. Uh, What that means is that the culture in the world is deforming us, consistently deforming us. Right. Deforming our view of God, Mm -hmm. deforming our worldview, deforming our worship. 
And so to be reformed is to be brought back to God's word. And that's what we're supposed to be engaging in as, as individual believers, as fathers who lead in the home, and as pastors who lead in the local church. One of the ways I put it is we, we still hang on to the reforming work that's been done in the past. So we don't let go of. So with one arm, we're, we're grabbing on to the reforming that's already been done. We don't abandon the work that's already been done in Reformation, but then we have to engage with the other arm, the the antithesis, the world today, and and and, and the the thesis antithesis battle in casting down those imaginations that still rise up against God and God's word. So it's it's a both end, isn't it? So yeah, we hold on to the the standards, we hold on to the truths that have been defended. But we still engage the battle. We, we've got new battles we're waging today. I, I, I don't think the reformers of the 15th century, 16th century, were, were dealing with evolution. They weren't dealing with the transgender movement. They weren't dealing with you know, sexual autonomy as much as we are today. Now, of course, if, you know, if they were faced with these things, they would face it with the same word. But, uh, but they're, they're, you know, these are our battles, and we need to engage them. Sure, yeah. But, I mean, if you look back at, you know, various different contexts. So like, you know, Paul's writing to Timothy, who's pastoring in Ephesus. And obviously Ephesus was a very wicked city and they were, you know, engaging in temple prostitution, worshiping a false goddess. Mm -hmm. So they did not need critical race theory and intersectionality as analytical tools to accomplish gospel ministry there in Ephesus. What does Paul say to Timothy? He says, preach the word. So the word is enough. The word is sufficient. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about uh, strength in ministry and, and strong churches. I, 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 that, that's where I want to go is, is, you know, what is it to build up the church in strength? Uh, what is strong leadership? You know, robustness in trials. Does meekness mean weakness? You know, there's the softball, right? Um, so how, how do you strike the balance on, I, th- I think there has been uh, a, th- a thrust in the church today to, to emphasize the, the meekness of Christ, that we should be meek and lowly as Christ was meek and lowly. Uh, but what does that mean? What does meekness mean? Now, obviously not weakness. Well, absolutely. It does not mean weakness. I mean, if you if you want to just a, a really good biblical example of what it means to be meek, uh, just look at the the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus would you know speak wonderful promises to his followers, but he would also provide terrifying statements of judgment to the wolves and to the false teachers of the day. So he was both tough and tender at the very same time. You know, I love the the quote by Calvin years ago when he said, a pastor needs two voices, one for gathering the sheep and the other for driving away the wolves and the thieves. And we just need to be men of conviction. And the church is starving for that in this present hour. And I believe that families, homes, fathers and children and mothers would follow strong biblical leadership if men would, would take the the necessary steps of leading faithfully. So yes, you are to be tender, but you're also to be tough at the very same time. And so meekness is a balance between the two, but it certainly doesn't mean weak or effeminate if, if that's the way that the culture likes to sort of apply that, that, 
that shallow definition, but that's certainly not the biblical definition. I was reading today's blog at the G3 Men, and you talk about winsomeness in the church defined as sweetly or innocently charming, engaging, you know, winsomeness in the church. And that seems to be something of a value or a virtue, I think, in the modern mind, that if you are nice and winsome, you're you're really fulfilling the commands of God and you're obviously filled with the Holy Spirit. But you're saying that's actually not the case, that that, that is not the right um, definition of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. Right. I mean, if you're, if, if you're just going to follow the path of just being winsome all of the time, then you're not going to have a genuine, healthy local church because there's a time when, you know, authentic Christianity has to actually be honest with, with one another. And so we have to, we have to engage in, in, in robust Christian life, which means that we don't just walk around with this sort of plastic fake smile and just act as if everyone is, is is fine because there's there there are times when Christians need to be honest with one another and and to be honest means that we have to point out mistakes or call people to repentance and so this idea of of church discipline which is a, a taboo bad word in evangelicalism today well if you want to be real honest Jesus commands that the church actually engage in church discipline. And church discipline is not always just the final step of excommunication. And church discipline is not running to the pastor's office to tattletale on someone within the church. And so the way that the church should operate is that we should be lovingly rebuking and correcting one another and then confessing sin to one another so that the church can be healthy and strong for the glory of God. Some of the best examples, uh, the best examples we're going to find will be Jesus. And I, I think that Jesus's confrontation with the rich young ruler may be one of the very best, most poignant examples. And I want you to talk to that or any other example of Christ. Yeah, I mean, obviously he was he was tough and tender. You know, you, you find moments of Jesus's ministry when he's when he's extremely tender with his followers, but then you find other moments where he's straightforward and, you know, he'll provide a, you know, a statement of, of judgment. I mean, if you just look at the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, of course, you, you cite the rich, the, the rich young ruler. And of course, that's, a, that's a, a wonderful example where he speaks truth that's not watered down. It's not trying to sidestep issues. He confronts the heart. Mm-hmm, right. But if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, which I believe is the greatest sermon that we have on record in, in world history, in the history of the church, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's the Sermon of Jesus. And it starts off with these, these wonderful statements of blessing, the Beatitudes, but it's also contrasted with these statements of woe, these statements of judgment. And so Jesus. And we have to remember something interesting. I, I, you know, I always laugh when I'm reading through the New Testament. It's, it's sort of a, a humorous thing because the culture likes to try to, you know, describe the God of the Old Testament as this angry, judgmental, vindictive God of justice. And then suddenly you get to the end of Malachi and you flip the page to Matthew. And now the God of the New Testament is this meek, mild, nice, loving, 
rabbi figure that just kind of walks around and heals people and says nice things. But but that's a, a really bad understanding of the the God of Scripture. Yeah. yeah. And if you look at Jesus, when it says when Herod says, you know, that I think that this Jesus figure is John the Baptist raised from the dead, which was a terrifying thing for him. That tells us much about Jesus's preaching, does it not? Mm-hmm. I mean, right. if we think about how John the Baptist thundered the word of God mm-hmm. and he confronted, you know, he confronted Herod with his sin of adultery. And then he went, when, you know, he's asking about the word on the street, what's the rumor about who this Jesus is? And they give him the reports. And he says, I think, here's my opinion, he's John the Baptist raised from the dead. So that tells us how Jesus actually preached. He wasn't this just meek, you know, sandal-wearing rabbi that just walked around trying to do good deeds for people. Um, blowing raspberries for little children, as in the case of the chosen. I mean, any thoughts mm. on? <laughs> we we have a bit abominated the chosen a number of times on this program, but uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, The Chosen has been massively popular, but I think that it's a violation of of God's command to not have any image of God. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I I would personally reject that just on the basis of of trying to depict a specific image of God. And I know that there are a lot of people who, within conservative, you know, Christian circles, would maybe even want to debate that issue. But for me, regardless of even the message that it's teaching about God or about Christ, I'm gonna I'm gonna avoid it altogether just because I think it's a violation of the command to refrain from having images of God. It's interesting. Even the producers admitted that they couldn't um, depict the deity as well as the humanity of Jesus yeah. Christ uh, in, in film. That, they, right? they admitted that. Yeah, they admitted that. So. You know, that's almost a done deal. Let's let's draw a picture of a biblical pastor then, given the example of Christ. And it, I think the pastor, you know, needs to exemplify a man of faith, the the, the, exa- the example for the flock, and the the man who's going to be balancing out uh, this, you know, firmness and this gentleness. Uh, so let's draw a picture of biblical pastor. You know, he's hacking Agag to pieces. I speak metaphorically, of course, but think of Samuel yeah. hacking Agag to pieces, John the Baptist correcting Herod, the pastor rebuking the disciples for faithlessness, the pastor saying to the adulteress, neither does Jesus condemn you, go and sin no more. Does the pastor fulfill all of these roles? Is he, is, is he bring together the prophet, the, the encourager, the rebuker? Is there a distribution of gifts or is are, are there... You know, all of these aspects of pastoring that need to converge in the leader of the flock. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at First Timothy 3 and you look at Titus chapter 1, what you see is a, a list of characteristics that describe the man who occupies the office of elder. And obviously there's no cookie cutter. There's no specific clone. And even within the context of a local church, every local church is going to have multiple elders, or at least I would argue you should. And when you have multiple elders, they're going to have various gifts and personalities that are going to be distinct from one another, but they're going to still have 
the, the same heart, the shepherding heart and the ability to teach the word of God. And that's clear biblically, right? Mm-hmm. Some are going to have more gifts in administration. Others are going to have better gifts in the, in the sense of preaching. And so that might be the main preaching pastor of the church. But at the end of the day, the, the pastor is going to have a robust heart that desires to shepherd the flock of God, to feed the flock of God, and to protect the flock of God. And if he's incapable of doing those things, then he should not be an elder. And you would commend strength, strength and faith, courage, um, consistency, uh, perseverance. Uh, I think the Bible also refers to patience and teach the word with patience, that enduring quality is something about a pastor that's been in the trenches for 47 years, you know, that you go, okay, he's a pastor. (laughs) You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I think what I get, what we're calling for is an endurance, is strength. Uh, what Paul says, "Quit ye like men, be strong." Uh, right. What does what does that look like? Have, have you seen good well, pastors in your past? And you said, "Now, okay, that's a pastor that's helping me as an example." Sure. I mean, I remember my childhood pastor. He had been called away to another church, and he had been gone for a good number of years. And when I was in college, he was invited to come back as a guest preacher uh, one week. And I remember sitting out there and here's this now more aged man. And he had gone through some health, you know, trials and he's serving it, you know, in in a different state now. But I remember him standing in the pulpit and, and by way of introduction to his sermon, he said, you know, my time here as pastor. I look back on those days and he, he said, I remember that there were moments where it was like I was experiencing the, the wind of heaven blowing through the church. And then there were other days where I went into the office and it, and it was as, as if I was, you know, smelling the smoke from another place. And he talked about the trials and the difficulties of pastoral ministry in the context of our own local church. And I had witnessed some of that as a, as a boy. And I just remember that that persevering mindset was important. It it really left an indelible mark on me. And now as I study the scriptures and I read Paul as this, this aged, this, this battle scarred, you know, apostle, this, this man who's, you know, shepherding souls and planting churches and preaching the gospel. And he writes to Timothy in second Timothy four. And he says, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But then he says this, as for you, always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That's it. So That's it. it's as if mm-hmm. it's as if Paul is saying to this younger pastor. Look, you know, pastoring is not for sissies, and you're going to have to understand that you're going to have to roll up your sleeves, mm-hmm. and you're going to have to endure. It's going to be hard work, but mm-hmm. you have to, you must fulfill your ministry. All right, let's take this from the perspective of an average member of your church or my church. What does he want from his pastor? Addressing you directly, one-on-one in the foyer of the church, what's the difference between 
a, a good, solid spiritual accountability and what you call charming engagement. Yeah, I mean, I think that spiritual accountability and charming engagement, you know, obviously there's there, there's two different things happening there. So just being kind to someone in the in the hallway of the church before or after a worship service is one thing, but but genuine accountability, calling someone to account of their sin, to reprove or to rebuke someone or to exhort them. Uh, all of those things are unique in and of themselves, but we're called as pastors to do all of those things. And the interesting thing is, as you ask that question, my, my mind goes to the man who's sitting in the church. You know, these qualifications that we read in 1 Timothy 3, I'm, I personally believe that that is a description for what men are just called to be. Yeah. But out of the men of the church, God is going to call some of those spiritual men to actually hold an office as an elder. Yeah. So I don't look at pastors as being like the spiritual, you know, uh, Navy SEALs of the church, like this esoteric group of spiritual elites. I see that pastors are to be modeling what men should be. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we should be tough and tender. Mm-hmm. We should be shepherding. And we should be defending and we should be teaching and exhorting and reproving and rebuking all of this for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. You know what occurred to me, Josh, as we were talking, I was thinking charming engagement doesn't really love God. Charming engagement actually doesn't really love the brother either. You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on. That's not really loving. (laughs) It's probably a self-centeredness really operating there. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes the fear of man will will cause a, a pastor to just want to be charming and engage and just say, hey, how are you? Keep everything very shallow and never really get beneath the surface. So for us here within our context, we'll have shepherding meetings throughout the year. Our goal is to every 18 months have at least a one hour meeting with every family to go over a basic set of questions that examines the health of that home. So we might seem charming and engaging in the in the hallway of the church, but we're also going to try to go beneath that simple superficial engagement to talk about sin, marriage, yeah. the the health of the home, and do this for the for the health of the church. That's right. Well, we're out of time, but a good conversation today with Pastor Josh Bice from the. Uh, uh, Praise Mill Baptist Church, and that's in Georgia. Is that right? Near Atlanta, Georgia. That's right. West side of Atlanta. West side of Atlanta. Pastor Josh Bice, my guest on this edition of the Generations Broadcast. Uh, good stuff on the G3 blog as well. Check it out at g3min.org. That's g3min.org. Well, thank you, Pastor Josh. It's good to have you here with us again. Come back sometime. God bless you. Good to be with you. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.